Good morning. Welcome to the Nourishing Liberty podcast, a podcast all about our food systems and how you fit into them. I am joined today by my co-host, Rachel Mills. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Liz. Good morning. How are you? Here we are. It's Monday morning. (laughs) It's Monday. It sure is. It is Monday. Yep. (laughs) Good. Good, good. You know, weekends can get busy instead of restful. And then Monday morning takes over as a rest period. Even it was a busy weekend and it was short. It was, yes. But we are approaching a holiday, July 4th. July 4th is coming up. And yeah, that can lead to uh, more rest or more work, depending on how we, how we do the holiday. Yeah, and you know, it's always your choice. It's always your choice how frantic or how relaxed you want to be. So be mindful of your limits and your health. (laughs) Absolutely. What a great point. What a great way to lead off and start the discussion. Yeah, this July 4th, I am determined to get my boys to some fireworks. We've had so much trouble. It's just been a comedy of errors every July 4th. Um, last year they did get to see some fireworks from a great distance, but one year we went to Colonial Williamsburg and I thought we were going to get like the most fantastical, wonderful fireworks in a very patriotic place. And it rained cats and dogs. Oh no. Didn't like that. Um, but this July 4th, we're going to do the whole thing where you find a good parking spot and you bring some snacks and you sit there and you wait for the fireworks and it's, it's yes, determined. Nice. Very nice. I am less determined than you. <laughs> That's okay too. It's, um, I don't know, I guess growing up, it was uh, a once a year kind of thing, fireworks. Um, and, you know, I did, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't have anything like no miserable experiences or anything, but it, it's, it's not a high priority to me. It's just not that important to me. So, and it requires staying up late, which um, doesn't work well for me right now. Yeah. Well, so, you know, it, it's, it's always up to you how you celebrate or not celebrate. And, and that being said, I also don't feel like I really um, miss anything because where I live <laughs> Boom, 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 all night long. There's fireworks everywhere. <laughs> so I get them, even if I don't go anywhere, I get them. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Enjoy how you like to enjoy, right? Yes. Uh, so also, I know many people celebrate this holiday with food. Mm-hmm. And our topic today is actually about organics. And what does that mean? What does it not mean? And, and is it all a scam? <laughs> is it all a scam? <laughs> well, that depends on your perspective. I know you'll have lots of insight. It's something that I wonder all the time at the grocery store, just because it says organic, is it really? I'm skeptical. So fill us in, Liz. Tell us, lay, lay down the truth for us. Well, Rachel, I think this is going to come as no surprise. <laughs> I'm going to say something I've probably said a couple of times before, which is the the most important thing is to know your producer. 
know your producer because the, the concepts around organic, even though it has a legal definition and it has, you know, there's probably thousands of pages of regulations on how to be organic and what boxes you have to check. Even though we have all that, it doesn't necessarily translate to what people are expecting. Right. So an example of that, and these are, these are things that have made headlines many times over the past several years. An example of that is in dairy. You can have a, uh, an organic quote unquote dairy operation in Colorado or one of the big states, right? That's, that's where they usually are, the big states. And that organic dairy operation can have hundreds of thousands of head of cow and they can all be living in very suboptimal conditions in feedlots, on concrete. I mean, it's, it's just not what most people have in mind when they think of organic or when they see that. And so cows can get fed a certified organic diet of soy and corn and whatever other waste products are considered organic these days and never have a bite of grass and that dairy can still be called organic. Wow. So um, very few people, me included, <laughs> I include myself in that, are going to look up and uh, read and understand and or memorize all of the organic recs. Very few of us are gonna do that, right? So whether it's this much of this chemical or that much of that chemical, which many, many chemicals are used in organic farming. They're just specific chemicals and the amounts are regulated. And th this is constantly changing. So even if you look it up this year and you get clarity on it this year, it could change next year or the year after that. So again, I mean, it does require some due diligence on our part. It requires a little more effort, but it's always about going back to the source and verifying what you can through that source directly. Yeah, and let me guess, whenever these regulations were passed, it was probably considered a big coup for organic farming and natural and all of that. And probably the natural environmental food people rejoiced. <laughs> yeah, certainly there was some of that many years ago. And uh, yeah, it's, it's lost some of its credibility, shall we say. And I think also, Rachel, one of the things to keep in mind is, well, there's a couple of things to keep in mind, of course, it's the different ideas that people have. And it's the way that the uh, organic term is, and, and, and maybe the original standards, the way that these things are used to manipulate consumers, right? Yeah, I, 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 I think, I surmise that there is a difference between the legal term and the marketing term organic. Well, technically, technically speaking, now take this with a grain of salt. Of course, uh, products are not allowed to be labeled organic unless they meet the, the standards and have the uh, organic certification in place. And is it USDA standards or FDA? USDA, yes, the USDA certifies organic. Mm -hmm. Now that being said, there are some states that have uh, state level organic certifications and organic standards. And those are of course different from each other. So if that is of interest, look into that because these are nuanced, right? It's not one thing 
one size fits all. And one of the things to note is that as the organic label, when it, when it meant something, right? And people who were, it was very important to them to get organic, when it meant a lot, of course, those people used that label and supported that method or those methods. And then suddenly the industry saw the dollar signs. And so it became organic labeled food became a really big uh, consumer point, right? When, what do they call it? I, I don't remember. It's like the, the industry knew that that's where the maximum amount of profit was and where the, the largest potential for growth was. Of course. So as, <laughs> exactly. And because that's because you and I, we might think of, we might, when we hear about an organic farm, one picture might come to mind. Animals roaming and produce growing and trees and children playing, but that's not the reality in most cases. Yeah, it's probably something like, here's my theory. Instead of a pen this big for the cow, it's this big, something like that. Yeah, something like that in, <laughs> in a lot of cases. And so there's, you know, of course the standards, there's one set of standards for each uh, species, right? <laughs> yeah. And then when you're talking about produce, so I do want to focus on produce for a minute because um, it, it, it's, it's just as deceptive when it comes to produce. So for example, you know, here I am in Maryland and we use this example a lot um, about strawberries and from California, right? I can get organic, again, with the quotes on it, strawberries from California any time of the year. But what does that actually mean? Because those strawberries, for the most part, we have huge monocrops of strawberries. And monocrop is when you take one, one product. So strawberries, blueberries, cantaloupes, um, other melons, squash, lettuce, carrots, you take any one product and you grow a huge amount of it in one location. That's considered monocropping. <clears throat> and for a farm to be able to produce that much of a crop in one place or year after year, it requires huge amounts of soil inputs. Because when you think about like, what are the nutrients that this plant needs to grow? Well, it's going to take all of those nutrients out of the soil. So you're left with soil that is missing something or missing several things. So our traditional cultures, not just here, but throughout good, good portions of the world would rotate crops. They wouldn't grow the same thing in the same place year after year. And I think here, you know, we have a, we have a, a common knowledge that the Native Americans rotated every seven years. They would let soil rest. And that's so important, so important because the, the soil absolutely needs the nutrients back in it. If the food that we're growing is going to have the nutrients in it. And if that soil is going to stay healthy, right? So when you think about those monocrops, it requires a huge amount of input. Okay. So that's one dimension of it. The inputs required for monocrops. You're taking a, a chemical shortcut shortcut because because yes. we've depleted the soil exactly exactly and that's one dimension but then turn it around a little bit and you look at okay well how do you actually plant and harvest acres and acres and acres of the same crop well it's through 
practices that you and I would consider unethical and how humans are treated. So one of the reasons I do like to talk about strawberries in this is because strawberries are very difficult to pick. They are, they're down low at the ground and uh, they grow at a time of year when it's warm out. So if you're gonna get any number of strawberries, you're gonna be bending down, you're gonna be picking in the heat. And so when you think about how our, our farms handle this, it's often through hiring migrant farm workers or day laborers. And you better believe these people are not getting paid a fair wage. And the conditions, I mean, I encourage people to look into this for themselves because I can't begin to cite the range of conditions that people are subjected to, but it is a range. And you know, maybe there are some good practices, but there are some really abysmal practices. And if you don't know where you're getting your food, you don't know how the people are being treated. And you cannot assume that they're being treated well. It is a really, really big issue in industrial farming practices, big issue. So produce, it's not like it's just about the cows and the sheep and the chickens. It is also about the produce. And we just talked about two dimensions of it, but another dimension is, and related to the, the soil dimension is that if you're getting a product that is grown in suboptimal soil, you're not getting the nutrients from it. Our bodies do need all of these nutrients. We need so many and the, the phytochemicals from the plants, we need these. So this is an important component in our food that we're missing when things get monocropped. Full circle back to organic. All of these methods of production can still be called organic. As long as these little boxes are checked or you know what, maybe the inspector doesn't show up. Maybe it's like that for a few years and then it's not like that. And then something else happens, you know, it's, it's paperwork at that point. But if Can you, you imagine have, inspectors being overworked and just not showing up to <laughs> tick a box. Oh, I've never heard of that happening before. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there, there's, there are flaws in the organic standard process. There are many, many flaws. And you as a consumer, you don't know what you're getting unless you can verify your source, unless you have some hands-on ability to talk to the producer or be the producer, to ask questions, to go see the farm, to go see the processing facilities. And it is tougher. It does take more effort, but I promise it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Oh, I'm sure you can taste the difference. A strawberry that naturally has the nutrients it needs to grow versus uh, chemical shortcuts. Yeah. And There's the tomatoes also, that you grow in your backyard versus the stuff you get at the store, you can tell the difference. And maybe it's, it's related to what you just said about monocropping and adding chemicals versus, you know, your backyard, the soil you have there has lots of nutrients. Absolutely. Um, yeah. This all yeah. makes sense to me. And I, I, I don't think it's, when I'm talking about it, for me, it's not just the nutrients. It's also, I really want to uh, eat food that I know the people have not suffered in producing it. Or, or that being said, like, I know some, some of the farms I know overwork themselves, but that's by choice. 
yeah. right? But other people don't necessarily have a choice. And so that is very important. Like the, the, the ethical concerns for me of how the people are treated in industrial farming situations, it's, it's, a, it's another lens through which to view our food. And once you're aware of it, uh, I think the the enjoyment of uh, traditionally produced food and ethically produced food, it becomes more profound. Yeah, that's a good point. That, that's such a big problem though that I don't know what to do about. I mean, what what does food cost if, labor conditions are what they should be, you know, and pay is what it should be. What does that do to the price? And does that contribute to misery somewhere else? Right. I mean, these are really important questions. And when you look at, okay, one, one component of organic food, labeled organic food is of course that it seems more expensive, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at the, the questions you're asking, which is the what does it cost for us who are not producing food for the most part to pay people to produce it fairly? And it is more expensive because it is more valuable. Yeah. Right. And, and, I, and let me, let me in, interject one other thing. I, I think you're referring mostly to migrant labor. Um, there's another source of labor and that is inmate labor. Yes, that's um, that's something that bothers me a lot um, because uh, it, it's the uh, three three felonies a day. Have you ever heard of that book? No. Somebody looked into it, and and you know, with all the laws and regulations and statutes, they estimated that the average American commits three felonies a day. Wow. <laughs> So um, put that right next to inmate labor. <laughs> and if, if inmate labor is an acceptable source of basically slavery and they need more slaves, all they have to do is put a few people under a microscope, you know, or specifically people with skills that they want, you know, look at them really closely. I mean, even the military industrial complex uses inmate labor. Um, and I, it, you know, it, it, it is allowable. I think it's the 14th amendment that said, that says, you know, slave labor, not permissible, except for punishment of crime. Right. So, but I mean, it, it, economically and legally and just socially, it, it's, it's a dangerous, uh, line. <laughs> um, and completely agree. Martori Farms is where Walmart gets a, a good amount of its produce, and Martori Farms is pretty much all inmate labor, or a, a good amount, probably migrant labor and inmate labor both, but um, it's, it, it's, it's something to think about. Um, we want to be careful if how we're incentivizing, economically incentivizing incarceration. Anyway. That's a whole right. No, Rachel, that's such a great. It is. But the thing is, is like one of the things that we talk about every week is how our food system touches every other system. Yeah. And you just 
you just brought light on that, right? Because yes, I mean, the, the prison industrial complex, that is one of the ways that it interacts with our food system. And, you know, you have a couple of really good examples. I'm glad you brought that up. And so one of the things I want to keep coming back to is food is valuable. We've managed to commodify and cheapen it. So it looks like it's not valuable. And with that comes exorbitant amounts of waste and exorbitant amounts of abuse. But food is valuable. And if we treated it, if we treated it as valuable, we wouldn't be wasting it and we would be willing to pay more for it. Right? And that's easy for us to say, but there's economically uh, disadvantaged yeah. people and people that live on the edge where they can't just say, oh, I'll just pay more for organic, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's right. just another quandary. It is, absolutely. And there's no, uh, how to put it, there's no simple solution to this. We've created a complex of problems with our food system. There is yes. no one thing just pay more for it is not a simple solution for everybody. Some people have that option, but not everybody okay. does. So yeah, it, the solutions have to be complex, as complex as the problem. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked to Hiram and we spoke about this issue with um, hunger. He's, he's a... Uh, Let's see, what is his uh, academic background? He, he worked in uh, agriculture and um, some, uh, I think USAID topics. And, and he is now retired and his focus, he's also a poet and his focus has been on bringing uh, the power of poetry to look at uh, food and hunger. So we've, we've spoken about this extensively as well not through the lens of organic, but about what you were speaking of, the discrepancy between the ability to pay more for food or not, and even simply to have that choice. So that's definitely an interesting, uh, an interesting podcast if you get a minute to listen to that one as well. For sure. Hiram, okay. Yeah, uh, on, on hunger, on hunger. So that... All of this is uh, peripheral to the labeling and whether or not people should be looking for that organic label or looking for something else when they're looking for food, right? Right. And I want to encourage that as much as possible, we, what we want to do is be having conversations with those who are producing our food as much as possible. Now, look, I'm probably not going to meet somebody who grows sugar cane, I'm still going to need sugar for a few recipes. So there are situations and circumstances where that's not possible. And so in those cases, what I would recommend is find a brand, you know, find a brand you can trust some, a brand that has, uh, is known for higher quality, for treating workers fairly, for treating farmers fairly and go with that, whether or not it has the organic standard on it. Because the organic standard is almost like, I mean, you can think of it as, as two different things. 
there are farms and there are uh, processors who are doing it that way. And then they have to ask the question, do we want to get this stamp on it? Because it costs extra money and whatever else. Do we want to get this stamp on it? And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the answer is no. It's so a, it's a lot of farms. Yeah. Yes. Yes. A lot of farms are practicing what we would consider organic, not the heavy chemicals, not all of that, but much more of the crop rotation or uh, diversity of animals or plants on the farm that they're growing. Mm -hmm. And yet they're not going to bother with that organic label. They're just not going to bother with it. And then some, so we have this one category of those farmers, producers, and processors who want to do it that with those standards in place and may or may not get the, the label. And then we have the other category who they don't care and they're not gonna be organic. They're gonna be chemical intensive, conventional, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And they're never gonna to try to get the organic standard. And then you have the ones in that, in that same category that, hmm, you know, they're gonna do the, the bare minimum that they can to get away with organic labeling and at the same time, they're going to lobby to modify the standards to relax them even more, yeah, right? Because they're not ethically, they're, they're not in it. Yeah. So as consumers, our best option is really to know our sources. If you're having a conversation at the farmer's market or neighbor to neighbor, or you're going out to the farm or you're getting from a buying club. There are so many great options now where you can have that direct relationship and have a conversation with the producer. Yeah. That's the way to go. And then of course, a component of that for us is we have to value it enough to have those conversations. Yeah. Yep. You always give me uh, such a, a different perspective and such a better perspective in thinking about these things. Food for thought. <laughs> Food for thought. There you go, right? I mean, it does in some ways, it does take a different lens because yeah. we have to be willing to value the food and the people who produce it. And that's a tough sell right now. There's a lot of other things demanding our attention. Yeah, especially with inflation. Yes. As, as much extra as it feels like we are paying at the grocery store to volunteer to pay more, you know, at a farmer's market or with a local producer. Well, the thing is, is it doesn't always translate to more when you when you go that route, it doesn't, believe it or not. So the grocery store, when you think about their, they've got all this overhead, right? They've got the building, they've got the lights, they've got the refrigeration, they've got all this overhead. And often they will, they will mark something up hundred percent. So that being said, you know, you're not going to be able to, most of the time, you're not going to be able to go directly to the vegetable warehouse, right? Unless you're in the restaurant industry, but when, when you're going direct to a farm, especially if you go to the farm and not the farm coming to a market or something, yeah. uh, the prices are a lot more reasonable. 
if you're growing anything of your own, if there's anything of you have that the farm wants, you can trade, whether that's your, your time and energy or something else. I mean, there's just so much more flexibility when you go direct, when you have that relationship, there's, there's more transparency, you're verifying your source and there's so much more flexibility. That's a good point. You know, we, we've talked about strawberries before, and I brought up the field trip that I went on with my preschoolers back in Raleigh to a strawberry farm and you get to pick your own strawberries. And it's like this, you know, fun activity that you do with your toddlers. Um, but in a way you're providing your own labor <laughs> and that's why you get exactly. a meal. So yeah, I like that. If, if you're willing to pick your own food, then the farm doesn't have to engage in unethical practices to get somebody to pick it for you. And then you're also in part paying for an experience, right? Yeah, of course. So a lot of families, you know, will have a budget for food. We'll have a budget, a separate budget for entertainment yeah. and maybe a separate budget for date night or activities with the kids. And the thing is, is when you start looking at, at, hands-on activities or these these local connections you can kind of combine those right so the, the the strawberry picking okay maybe that comes out of the entertainment budget or the experiences budget mm -hmm. because you know quite frankly a couple pounds of strawberries is not a lot of calories <laughs> but it is a very fun experience right yeah so and and also i'll add that a lot of the small farms they are very aware of the increase in uh, food prices. It's, it's quite painful for everybody right now, including the producers. And so many of them offer on-farm events. And so you can get kind of a combination of experiences and food by exploring some of the local farms in the area. Very cool. I think I need to get myself on some email lists of some local farms. Not a bad idea. They will appreciate it too. Yeah, and you know, I, I've told you in the past, I go to the local farmer's market and I've collected a few business cards of local producers. So I just need to go visit their websites and sign up for whatever they're sending out. Yeah, and you know how you were talking about last week, you were mentioning, we were talking about all the headlines, all the scary headlines about food shortages and yeah. um, how all of these different, um, well, uh, news outlets, shall we say, everybody's tugging on us for our attention. Mm -hmm. And the farms kind of get lost in all of that, right? And there, there's maybe a few that rise to the top, but for the most part, a lot of the farms and the farm experiences get lost in all of that. So you are doing yourself a favor and the farms a favor by giving them your attention mindfully, right? By getting on their email list, by get, giving them your attention and seeing ways that you all can cooperate, whether that's a weekly pickup or a one-time event. I mean, that's still cooperation. It's still what we need more of. And I'll, um, I'll make a tangential comment here that I don't want to go off too far on. But when you think, Rachel, I know you and I have been involved in politics for many years. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the energy and the expenditures that go into a single campaign, much less all the campaigns, yeah. it's mind boggling. And I think about it frequently in terms of uh, human energy. If a 
fraction of that human energy and the human budget that just goes towards, not human budget, the money budget, that just goes towards paying for advertisements. If just a fraction of that went to more of us growing food, either our own food or cooperatively, just imagine, just imagine what that would look like. And there's so much energy expended through emails and campaigns and all the the gatherings of people and getting people up in a frenzy and getting people worked up about it. And if we shifted, if we just conscientiously said, you know what, my attention is going to go into food production, this election cycle, not to say we are not paying some attention enough to know what yeah. counts. <clears throat> but, elections but do have at, consequences. And it, when you ignore elections, you know, often it is at your peril, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. I'm not saying ignore elections at all. I'm saying if it's some of that focus and some of that energy and flurry went into food production. Yeah. We would have a different landscape. Or maybe, maybe you could pull some of your attention away from, you know, reality television and garbage on TV. (laughs) That too. That too. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Very interesting. Yes. So full circle to organics, which is you're never really going to know unless you know your provider. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's too bad that it's not as simple as, you know, organic label, it's organic food or what, what you might think you're getting with organic. Right. Right. But that's, you know, different people have different things in mind, even with that. Yeah, but probably not feedlots and probably not monocropped hundreds or thousands of acres of the same thing with migrant workers or prison labor, right? Yeah, that's an issue. So one quick note, which is um, grass-fed beef gets a lot of hype right now, Ah. and you know I'm that's very important to me, and so there's actually no standard for grass-fed beef and. Uh, I've talked to with enough farmers and I know my way around the farms and farmers markets to know that uh, there's a lot of lies out there about grass fed, a lot, very many. So farmers will look you in the eye and tell you something is grass fed, even if they bought it at auction two weeks prior and they literally have no idea. Uh, And there's there's no official standards for the grass fed label. So whether it's meat or dairy, there's no standards. So in that regard, you really got to know the producer or know the brand. And if a brand, I mean, if a brand is really about something, they're going to make it clear. They're going to explain it well, and they're going to be super transparent about it. It's not going to look like marketing gimmicky stuff. In fact, I think part of the reason so many of these really good providers and producers get missed is because all their energy is going into production and not marketing. Right. Which is where you want their energy to go. Really? Yeah. But that means you have to take a step towards them since they don't have the finances to chase you with marketing. You have to meet them in the middle and seek them out. Yes. And it does take a little more effort, but it is so worth it because you, you get connected in a way that is indescribable and you can't put 
I can't say that that connection is $100 worth of value. I mean, it, it doesn't have a, a concrete yes. measurement like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and more on grass fed. There are farms, and, and what I love is if I ask a farmer, I'm like, hey, is this beef grass fed? And they'll tell me either, yes, it's 100% grass fed, which means the, the cattle gets grass, they get grass and hay, that's it, grass and hay. Or they'll tell me it's grass fed, but grain finished. Mm-hmm. And some people really prefer the, the taste of the grain finished beef. And that's okay, but you, sh- you should know what you're getting, right? The farmer shouldn't be saying it's grass fed if it is also grain finished mm-hmm. because some people don't want that. So, but some people do. So the transparency piece is so important and knowing, knowing that there's no single standard for that term grass fed. And so get, get more information when you just see grass fed, get a little more information. That's How do crazy. you know it's grass Yeah. I would have thought that would have meant the cows eat grass <laughs> at the minimum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, I mean, you know, we have a different world than we had a few hundred years ago when that yeah. was literally like it was grass and whatever, whatever the cows accidentally got into, like the apples or the, <laughs> the grain from the grain storage, right? But that was not intentional. And then, uh, where was I going with this different world than a couple hundred years ago? And, uh, ah, lost that train of thought, but it is, it's a different world. And so we do have to ask those questions. Yep. It's not all one thing that people have in mind. It's not all the same thing. Good to know. Well, you have made the issue more complicated, Liz. (laughs) Well, it, it already was. Yes, yes. <laughs> We're just more aware of it now. <laughs> yes, we do not live in a fairy tale where you go to the grocery store and buy organic and it's actually <laughs> grown without fertilizers and chemicals and bug sprays and all of that. Not necessarily. Indeed. Yeah. But here's, here's what I can pretty much guarantee. I can guarantee that the closer you get to your food and your food producers, the more satisfaction and joy and and depth you will have in food preparation and in nourishing yourself and your family. And that's pretty much across the board. I believe that. Yep. So there you have it. Well, I learned a lot, Liz. Well, Rachel, you always bring up some really important points also with like how we're sourcing our labor in this country. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've done a lot of uh, research on prison labor. I haven't uh, updated my knowledge recently, but I just I found it very disturbing that, um, I mean, it, it, it's not so much the human rights of the actual prisoners. You know, if, if they've committed a crime, you know, they've killed someone. Yes, I want them to be punished. And I don't care if they're, you know, uh, doing manual labor and all of that. But the thing is, our, our legal system is not perfect. We have different justice systems for different people. It's not always as fair as it should be. And we have so many laws that people can run afoul of 
that it's so easy to incarcerate people for profit and it is possible to incarcerate people at a profit. So, I mean, that's just something I got my head on a swivel about. Um, I'm not comfortable with the idea of, you know, being able to target people for their labor, not necessarily because of anything that they've done. Maybe they've committed a victimless crime um, that shouldn't even be a crime, but they can be targeted and enslaved for it. So I, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that, that dynamic. It's just something I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. And there's, uh, yeah, I mean, we could go off on this tangent for quite a while, which I want to resist that urge. Um, and you know, you speak to the injustice and the corruption within our quote justice system. And then there's the, um, I mean, I I do want to just touch on very briefly the migrant farmer situation, because there's so much uh, imprisonment of people who haven't committed a crime. Yeah. Their crime right. is within that, within that. Yeah. And, and, or being absolutely destitute and having like so reliant on those few dollars a day that they're so extremely vulnerable. So both are at play in this, in this yeah. aspect of the food system. And that is something that we absolutely must be more aware of and be willing to counter with our food choices. So that being said, (laughs) eat for health, know your neighbor and your farmer, and grow some food. Rachel, have a beautiful holiday. Thank you, Liz. You too. And get some rest. (laughs) Oh, yes. You too. (laughs) Bye-bye.